welcome back to yet another episode of HR Talk. I'm JC. I'll be stepping away from co-hosting the show until sometime after the U.S. presidential elections. But thank you all for continuing to tune in weekly. And now, for your host, please welcome Ricky Baez! Man, gotta love that intro. Ladies and gentlemen, hi. Hi. And welcome to the premier HR podcast in Florida, in the nation, in the world. I don't know. Maybe. Depends who else listens out there. Everybody, welcome. Ricky Baez, co-host of the HR Talk podcast, coming to you live from the A1A Beachfront Studios in sunny central Florida. It's nighttime now, so it doesn't matter. Folks, do I have a special one for you. The elections are right around the corner. They really are. And um, it, it, it's, it's uh, as we've said on other shows, we're not here to tell you where to vote, vote one way or vote another way. We're here to talk about regardless of what happens in a couple of weeks, we want to make sure that our listeners, our business leaders, our partners, our associates, our employees know what to expect regardless of what happens after November 3rd. Uh, but one of the reasons why I'm really excited about this show today is because I want to talk about one specific amendment that's only specific to Florida, and that's Amendment 2. And in Florida, Amendment 2 talks about minimum wage and whether it should go up or stay just the way it is. And regarding Amendment 2, what I really wanted to drive home is if it passes, we need to know, we as business leaders and HR pros, we need to know what to do to get ready in case that passes and what, and, and what kind of strategy we need to put together uh, to make sure that we're ready for this um, in the next four or five years. Because if it passes, it is going to affect every single budget in the state of Florida for the next five or six years. So with that said, I've got two amazing individuals with me today who are going to help me dissect this and help me understand um, exactly what we should do. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So I'm going to kick it over to Miss Amanda Simpson. Ricky, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here this evening. Nobody ever told me in law school that I'd have to figure out how to do a podcast, <laughs> but I'm not actually sure podcasts existed back in law school. So yeah, well, here I am. Excellent. <laughs> I am. Yes. So just bear with me tonight. So I'm a principal in Jackson Lewis's Orlando office. For those of you who don't know Jackson Lewis, we are a management side law firm. That means we only represent employers. And I like to say that I help employers resolve workplace disputes. So that can be everything from advice and counsel to what I specialize in or the big boys, those class and collective actions where, hey, if you're paying one person wrong, you're likely paying everyone in your company wrong. So <laughs> unfortunately, people don't really like to talk to me, but I'm excited to talk to everyone tonight. Kim? Awesome. Awesome. And, and now we got Kim. And Kim, I am sorry. You told me your name like 80 times and I still cannot get it. It's not you. It's all me. But, but I'm going to try it. Is that okay? All right. Here we go. Oh. All right, Kim Bolahanis. 
Very good. Very good. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Did I really get that right? Yes, you did. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. That's the show. I've done everything I could today. Thank you. No, I'm kidding. Kidding, Kim. All right, Kim, if you could just tell the audience a little bit about you. Sure, I'd love to. Um, so I currently am a senior director of HR operations for a company in Tampa, Florida mm-hmm. um, called MHK. We are a healthcare software organization. And I also serve as the federal legislative director for the HR Florida State Council, um, where I do um, a lot of advocacy work, which is what makes this so exciting for me. Um, Love to make sure that people understand the impact of these amendments and things that are coming down to us and how they're going to impact not only the employees, but the employers as well. So, so I have a senior leader in HR and then I have an employment and labor law attorney. Is that a good way to put it, Amanda? Perfect. So that is, and Kim actually made me forget to tell the audience that I work with Kim on HR Florida's council and uh I handle the state legislative affairs, which is one of the things we're going to talk about tonight. Clearly, I need some caffeine, Ricky. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfectly okay. It's a Wednesday evening. It's you're good. You're good. No, but it's I I couldn't think of of better qualified folks to be with me today to really talk about this and figure out exactly how this works. As a reminder to everybody, I am not an attorney. Amanda is, right? So even even because she is an attorney, remember, anything she says today is should not be taken as legal advice. Any issues that you may have, you have to seek your own legal counsel. We're just having conversations about amendment two, and they should not be taken as legal advice. Did I cover other bases, Amanda? They couldn't see me shaking my head aggressively. Okay. You got it, Ricky. Thank <laughs> got you. It. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> All right. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, let's dive right in. Amendment 2. So, Amanda, help me understand. Amendment 2, if, we, if, 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 the citizens, if the residents, citizens of Florida vote yes for this, that means that minimum wage in the state of Florida is going to go to $85. Is that correct? Where did you get that from, Ricky? Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) So so maybe you move the decimal point a little bit of where minimum wage currently sits in Florida. That's probably what happens. That's right. Yeah, it's $8.65. See what happens. All right. (laughs) So what what is Amendment 2? So let's take a step back. Yeah. So Amendment 2 is on the ballot Mm -hmm. November 3rd. Uh, we all know that there needs to be 60% approval for Amendment 2 to pass. Mm-hmm. If it passes, what's going to happen is a tiered approach. So a lot of people are saying that, okay, Amendment 2 is nearly doubling minimum wage. But what does that really look like? Well, when you get your ballot, you'll see that it's going to increase to $10.00. On September 30th, 2021, and then it'll be a dollar annually until it reaches $15 in 2026. But hold on. After that, it'll still increase beginning on September 30th, 2027, like we're seeing the standard cost of living increases Mm. that are currently in place. Is that clear? 
clear as mud, Ricky. That's uh, that that's as clear as mud can possibly be, Amanda. Uh, so so that's perfect. Now now that's in the state of Florida, and and I. I was trying to do some research today because we do have about 70,000 listeners nationwide, right? Florida, obviously, that's where we are based. So I was trying to find out how many other states have this kind of an amendment on their ballot as well. And I couldn't find that, right? So I just found as far as Florida is concerned. But in Florida, it's the way right now is $8.65. So if I heard you correctly, you're saying that if this passes by 60% of uh, of the votes next year, September 30th or September 2021, um, it's going to go up by a dollar 44 cents because I think it's going to go up to uh, $11. No, I think $10, wasn't it? $10 next year, and it's going to go a dollar every year until it, heat, it hits 15 bucks an hour. So it's an incremental increase. So, so we're doing some math right now. So, first yeah. of all, 856 in Florida. All right. That's where we are right now. Uh (laughs) You are testing me this evening. (laughs) I see what you're doing. (laughs) Sorry. So, yes. Then it'll be a, you know, little jump up to $10 and then a dollar from that. And just some context, Ricky, it's a great point for all the listeners. We all know that there's a federal law out there, the Fair Labor Standards Act or the FLSA, that governs minimum wage on a federal level. And that is, Ricky, do you know it? Oh, my God. Um, no. <laughs> I do not. 725. And you know why you don't know it? Because you live in Florida, so That's it doesn't right. matter. <laughs> because Florida's higher. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but it actually hasn't been updated in, if I'm doing my math correctly, 11 years since 2009 when the federal minimum wage went from 655 to 725 and there are a bunch of states as listeners know all around the country I'm not going to list them all but you got you know Alabama Mississippi Texas Louisiana Kansas they have that 725 Mm -hmm. but then there's a bunch of states that have higher minimum wages Um, there are two places I didn't know if you found this in your research New York City and DC that are at fifteen dollars now. Uh, why did I think um, Washington State? I thought Washington State was up there as well. Am I? It's I could be a hundred percent wrong in that. It, it's up there, okay. um, and now you're quizzing me, but I don't think it's reached the fifteen dollars no, okay. yet. Thankfully, I when I practice on the West Coast, we can guess it's mainly in California. I don't know a lot in That's Washington That's a whole other monster. We have, we have attorneys in Seattle <laughs> for that. Got it. <laughs> so, so in Florida, if that passes, so from an HR perspective, Kim, uh, it, it, it's you be – so you're the senior director of human resources. So you have a lot of teams that you have to watch out for. And I'm assuming you're responsible for the, the compensation strategy, the hiring strategy and the engagement strategy of your, of your, excuse me, of your organization. Um, what kind of meetings are you having with your direct reports to get them ready in case this actually passes? So, I mean, from from my perspective, I work for an organization that has very limited exposure to minimum wage mm-hmm. positions. Um, but looking at this, you know, generally from an employer perspective, um, where where HR professionals need to be focused is, you know, how does this impact the budget? How does it mm-hmm. impact the bottom line? 
you know, you're talking about an initial bump within a year of 16%. Um, as we all know, wages are a, they represent a large amount of a company's budget. So mm. not having planned for that already, most budgets are finalized by now for 2021. So figuring out how to now fit in that, that, um, that cost. And then looking at, you know, if you just even do some rough math, um, I am an HR professional, not a mathematician. So I will say that up front. We're here. Um, We're here. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, but you're talking about, I mean, think about businesses who also, you know, incur overtime, you know, your, your fast food businesses and, um, you know, usually uh, retail stores. You're talking about overtime going from about twelve eighty four an hour to twenty two fifty an hour. Mm. I mean, this is this is a very big jump. And although it's gradual, um, the sixteen percent is up front. You know, I look at it from the perspective of, hey, you know, most people get an average of a three percent merit increase. Although a lot of that has stopped due to COVID mm -hmm. and the layoffs and furloughs and things you know, 18% over that same period, you're going to almost double um, minimum wage. So that's a, when you think about it in that respect, that's a huge impact and something that's going to be very tough to manage. Um, if you look at, you know, even farmers and things like that, the, the unintended consequence is your food costs are going to go up considerably yeah. for them to be able to pay those wages um, probably going to try and do more with less, mm -hmm. as we saw with places like McDonald's putting in kiosks so you don't have to have someone take your order. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're eliminating jobs in order to, you know, accommodate that increase. You know, it, it, uh, speaking of budgets, um, it, it's, I know that I've done a bunch of budgets also. And yeah, it, it's the budget for 2021 is already over and done with, right? Um, in that budget, obviously, you got to put a line in there to help you in case there's any issues, any unexpected issues. And it's a small percentage of that budget. For the past five, six years, I'm sure most organizations, especially in Florida, they haven't really capped out on that extra expense budget. I got to tell you, I'm assuming that it got blown out the water in 2020 as soon as COVID hit, right? <laughs> it's because now all of a sudden companies are responsible to buy PPEs and hand sanitizers and all these things, all these crazy things that they need to 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 really just provide for their associates, right? So I don't know. What do you think that's going to do outside of Amendment 2, just for a hot second? What do you think that's going to do to that budget for the for that emergency line budget? I'm sure they're going to ha have it go higher for the next couple of years, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, you're not really going to have a choice. If yeah. you think about it, you know, people, um, I, I just look around at all of the impacts of COVID in general of budgets, you know, having to do all those things with PPE, create, you know, social distancing. Um, a lot of businesses have had to cut back on how much business they can provide. You know, restaurants were running at half capacity. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult to, you know, even fathom what that looks like downstream. Um, you know, from a personal perspective, we, we embarked on a new office in our Connecticut location and due to the new restrictions for COVID, we're basically getting half the office space 
to, you know, have the space to accommodate the people for the same amount of money. So mm. it just is not, um, it's not a good situation. And I think this is, you know, when I look at something like this, it, it scares me a little bit because, you know, there's no provisions in this amendment to say what happens if the country hits another recession. Yeah. You're going to continue to increase minimum wage when people are having to, you know, lay off their employees to to pay cut their employees to furlough them. And, you know, if your employees are between that 15 to 20 dollar an hour threshold, um, how much can you cut if you're going to do that? So there's a lot of things to take into consideration there. You know what, Kim? It's, so you bring up a, a really good point, and Amanda, hopefully you can help me with uh, with this one. I was I was searching and searching and searching. I wanted to find out what. How did they come up with this formula? How did when when this was proposed? How did they say we're gonna go up to fifteen incrementally, just just in stages, a dollar a year? How do they know that's the magic number? I mean, I know, I know this thing was um, was uh, 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 spearheaded by John Morgan, uh, big big figure here in Florida. Actually, I think that's the nation's largest uh, legal firm, right? Uh, but that's that's he he led the, the charge on that. But one thing I couldn't find out is what formula did they use? How do they know that's the magic number? So it's interesting that you asked that, Ricky, and. I don't think they know that it's the magic number, but both Kim and I can tell you because through our volunteering for HR Florida, every year we go up to Tallahassee for a legislative conference and we talk to our local representatives about the bills that are up every year. And we've been doing it for 10 years now. And so it's interesting because this conversation has been happening for the last several years in some shape or form. And it started out with a sharp increase to $15. Mm-hmm. And I think they saw that wasn't going anywhere. And of course, our conversations was, you know, that's too much too fast. Yeah. And then we started seeing this tiered approach. And they got more positive feedback on that. Because, you know, I think the majority of People will say, especially sitting here today in the middle of COVID-19, everyone could use some extra money these days, Mm -hmm. right? But they want to be cognizant of everyone from those mom and pop shops who will be greatly affected right away to the larger companies who are going to have to, as Kim say, you know, pivot and do more things like using electronic versus actual human beings and paying minimum wage. And so I think this approach is their way of balancing those concerns to give a tiered approach so that voters can really look at the pros and cons and assess what they personally believe, you know, should go through because it hasn't on the state level, even though it's been up you know, almost every year. Yeah. You know, and, and going back to the whole budget, actually, you know, before I even go there, um, you mentioned something that's really near and dear to my heart and that's small mom and pop shops. Right. So with this one, again, I'm not here to tell anybody where to vote, but it's, I am going to share my personal opinion. Um, I'm torn ladies. I'm, I'm, I'm just torn. Right. Because on, on one hand, right. I do want, uh, 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 people to get a fair livable wage. On the other hand, 
Um, I know what it is to be an entrepreneur. I know what it is to run a small business, and I know those budgets are really tight. And I was having a conversation with somebody on link. Well, I guess a LinkedIn conversation. I don't know if you call it a conversation, just going back and forth. Uh, it was a senior HR person at a hotel who says Amendment Two is bad. It would kill the hotel industry. And I posed the the question not not to argue with her, but just to ask. I'm I'm curious. Um, I'm sure big brands like the 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 big guys, especially here in Central Florida, I'm sure they will survive. I don't know if the same would be for the small mom and pops who's got really tiny budgets, right? So it's I'm wondering if you can give an opinion on that from your perspective. Again, not telling anybody where to go, but just just it, to help me understand because I really am on the fence on that one. I agree, Ricky. Yeah. I think most people are torn. And I think the majority of people would say that that initial to increase to $10 an hour, you know, they're all in. Right. But to your point, I think each tier is going to affect people in different ways. So that $10 increase could throw out a budget for a mom and pop shop, but a $15, you know, increase, could also affect those big brands that we know so well here in Central Florida. I mean, if you think about the hospitality industry in Orlando, you just went through a pandemic. Mm. You do have some individuals paid less than $15 an hour, and now you're fighting to stay alive and get, you know, guests and customers in, and you're having to, you know, look at projections up until 2026, and that's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, it is. especially, I mean, look, it's, I don't know if um, um, any of the listeners follow Orlando News, right, but that's what I follow. Um, just today, a major hotel chain just announced that they're going to lay off 1,600 people. That's just, just it's a couple of weeks after uh, the big theme parks said they're going to lay off X amount of people and just layoffs and layoffs and layoffs and layoffs. So a livable wage hasn't been as, as important as it is right now, right? Now, it, it, it's, it's obviously I do have a day job. One of the things I am working on because we're hiring like crazy. Right over in 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 my place of employment, and one of the things I'm doing, I'm trying to connect with that hotel chain and saying, "Hey, can I do a job fair over there? <laughs> Let me know because if you got some people who are about to be affected, I can help out." Right, so I'm working on that right now, but I see both sides of it. But coming back to the HR piece, right, as far as planning and budgeting, um, why can't Oregon now? Above and beyond the obvious, right, the money aspect, why can't organizations just on their own say, you know what, forget the law, right? I'm going to go ahead and implement in my company minimum 15 bucks an hour. I mean, why, why, why can't organizations just do that aside from the finance piece? So I think that, you know, it really depends on the type of business that you're talking about. You know, as I mentioned earlier, wages are a very large part of a budget. And while I think every organization would love to, you know, be able to pay everyone more money and, you know, put minimum wage at 15 an hour. But I think that you also have to look at, you know, you have, you have entry level 
positions. So you, you hire people in at entry level where they have no experience, no education, no skills generally. Um, and you have to start somewhere. So, you know, when I look at this, if you, if you're a McDonald's say, or, you know, any fast food chain and you want to pay your people more, um, offer them more benefits, there is one place that you can make up for that. And that is in the cost of your goods and services. Mm. So, you know, you're going to price yourself right out of the market at some point, because, you know, instead of paying $6 and 50 cents for something, you're going to pay $9 for it. So it it just has that snowball effect where, you know, where does it end? Well, not only that, right, from a compensation perspective, because I know compensation teams and in that field of HR, they do a lot of environmental scan, right? And for those of you who don't know, that means that they go out and they and they see what other people are paying uh, for those comparable jobs in that specific area. So if you have a call center, per se, that says, we're going to go from $8 an hour to 15 like that. Next thing you know, they're not going to have any attrition issues, <laughs> Right? They're not. But as soon as somebody gets fired, they quit for a better job, or they just pass away, an opening is going to come up and people are going to want to come over. And when that, that environmental scan happens again in a couple of years, that's going to skew everything, right? Because the data they're going to get, they're going to say, ah, hold on, red circle, green circle, let's figure out how much we got to pay our people in order to remain competitive. So um, I can see how that can become an issue from a compensation perspective. Um, but what does that say about an organization? Now, I, I mean, again, it's it, 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 it's it's uh it's all from an HR point of view. What does that say about an an organization that don't don't necessarily take that initiative to say, "Here's what we're going to do," which is going to wait for the law to make us do it above and beyond figuring out what the job is really worth. Because Kim, what you just said is 100% spot on because I'm with you when it comes to that. I'm not going to pay X amount of dollars for this position just because I'm picking that number. I got to see what that position is worth. And if that's worth this, that's what I'm going to budget out of. So from an HR perspective, what does this say in your opinion about an organization that waits for the government to say, hey, let's move it up for them to go ahead and move up their 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 price point? Well, I don't know that, you know, I believe a lot of organizations, you know, most of them do market research. You know, what what will the what, what does the market say a position is worth? And you can look at I mean, there's a lot of factors to consider there, you know, education and skill also availability. You know, if you look at look at the STEM um, jobs that we're having trouble filling and, and the issues that you have coming forward with immigration, you know, most organizations feel they're compensating fairly. And it's not, you know, it's not just your wage, it's the environment you're working in, the benefits that you're offered, you know, the skills that you gain. Um, there's a lot to consider there, but I do think you have to have an entry level at some point. Um, I don't want to date myself, but I think my first job, I started at $3 and 65 cents an hour. Oh, wow. And I remember how hard I worked for that $3 and 65 (laughs) cents an hour. And, you know, it's just, I don't think organizations don't want to do it. I think it's, it's gradual. And now as Amanda had said, with this COVID crisis, you know, people are closing their doors. Um, 
small business owners are, are shutting down and, you know, some entrepreneurs are having to go do other things because, um, you know, COVID really impacted them in a negative way. All right. So, so yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so I was just going to say the wages. I think people, you know, generally want to pay fair wages, but, you know, everyone cannot be paid 30, 40, $50 an hour. I mean, where do you, where's the stopping point? Yep. It would be great if we could do that, you know, in this country, but I don't, I don't see that being a possibility. I'm with you. Me neither, because I, 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 just for doing it for the sake of doing it makes no sense. We got to go back to the value of the job, number one, and the value of the skill set that you bring to the table. But since you brought it up, Kim, I'm going to say it. So, uh, have you guys been uh, to? You guys been to, to the to, to the studios right here in in Orlando, the theme park. Yeah. All right. Do so you guys remember yeah, the yeah. ride Back to the Future? Yeah. That was my first <laughs> job in high school. I was a riding show attendant at Back to oh, the Future. Cool. I was getting paid four twenty five an hour, right? Having a blast. I thought that was the best job I could ever have. I'm never leaving. I'm going to stay there for the rest of my life because I was having such a great time. Yeah, two years later, I went to the military. So, yeah, I guess <laughs> there goes that. <laughs> so, I'm with, I'm with you guys. So, I started out as a waitress making less than minimum wage mm-hmm. because you're paying for the tip credit, right? Yeah. And I would run around doing everyone's job because I'm like, I love this. This is great. Let me talk to people. Let me go to the bar. Let me go to the back. But I worked. And so it's funny to hear that we all started out in that. And look at us now, right? <laughs> right? No, it, it's, it, but you know what? It, that was at a time. Now, I've learned a lot since then, right? But that was at a time that I really wasn't as focused on money as I was about just getting a paycheck for having fun because that's how I looked at because I had a blast. I got to meet a lot of uh, uh, big-name people. I met Mike Tyson. No, not Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield. And believe it or not, wow. he got on the ride, got out, and complained his neck hurt. I'm like, hold up, dude. <laughs> hold up. You are a heavyweight championship boxer. Your hands are lethal weapons. Lethal weapons punch you in the face. And this ride made your neck hurt? I mean, I guess it, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I met Steven Tyler. Um, he is not as tall as people think he is. He is. He was. It's. Not, I'm five eleven, and he was up to my eyes, right? And he was back then. Liv was really tiny. Um, she was there too. So I met a lot of great people working there and had a blast. But that was at a point where I didn't care as money as I did in the middle of my career that I cared a lot about it to a fault almost. And now I'm kind of there again. I'm at a point in my career that I'm just having a great time. I love what I do generally, right? Because not everybody loves what they do 100% of the time. There may be something wrong there, right? (laughs) So generally, I love it. Um, So I guess what I'm saying is to me, it's full circle. Right. And I know to a lot of people, I have to understand that a lot of people don't do it just because they love it. They got bills. And I get that. I completely understand that. So when those folks get into that position, into that entry level position that they got bills to pay. Right. And they see that this bill was just passed and you're like, okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel every year. I'm going to get no matter how horrible or good I am, at least I'm going to get a dollar raise every year, <laughs> right? So every year for the next five years or so, that person gets promoted from a leadership perspective. How do you shift that mindset, 
How do you shift that mindset from an employee hoping to get that raise and not doing that work because the, the, the law says you have to get that raise. And now that person gets promoted and they're having a hard time shifting that mindset. Now they got to motivate people not to rely on that law. They got to motivate people on how to, you, you need to earn your own raise. How do we do that for, for these brand new leaders? That's a really good question. Um, And I struggle to have a a solid answer for that. You know, as we all do, trust me, professional, you know, you, everyone's motivational factors are different and, you know, it's really hard to figure that out. And I think that, you know, you hear a lot of people say that, you know, the upcoming generations are entitled. Mm. You hear the, you know, everyone gets a trophy phrase and things like that. Mm. But you make a really good point. They're going to get a pretty large percent of an increase, no matter what, for the next five years. So you get into a mindset now when they go and get a different job where they're not paid minimum wage, they're actually paid you know, just for example, maybe say $45,000 a year, and they're presented with a 3% merit increase after working for that year, they're going to be upset. They're going to be disappointed. (laughs) They're not going to understand, well, wait a minute. You know, I was getting, you know, whatever percent that comes out to again, I'm not, I'm not a mathematician, but you know that you're setting an expectation that's going to be very difficult to manage through. I got to tell you, Kim, um, I used to work for a uh, local government entity, county government, right? And um, it's, uh, I, I learned a lot there, not good things. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not going to do that when I get there. Right. So that's how I learned. One of the things that I've noticed that I'm like, Ooh, that I don't like is if, if, if you were in good standings, everybody got a 3% raise every year, everybody. And I kept telling the HR director, how, what a horrible idea that is because think about the, the message that sends, right? You got employee a who was busting their behind to make sure because they care about the craft that they went to school for. You got employee B who does just enough not to get fired. They're both going to get the same raise. (laughs) So what's going to end up happening is the rock star is going to say, I'm not appreciated later. And you're going to have employee B who's going to say, and nobody else going to put up with my crap. I'm sticking around. And then they wonder, <laughs> right? So, so that's one of the things that to me, I just didn't like. That's why I said, I'm just going to go somewhere else. Um, so I've worked both in the government entity and the private entity, two completely different monsters. Um, I'm throwing this curveball at you guys, right? And Amanda to you first and then to Kim, what, Knowing how much money you can make out in the private sector, why do people still go to government work? Why do you think people well, still do that? You you just hit on it by talking about your work in the theme park. People have passion. And certainly when I wake up at 4 a.m. every day to read case law and work all week, like I have a passion. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry, 4 a.m.? Oh, you haven't heard that about me. No, I have not, (laughs) ma'am. That's why I said it. 
said it, I, I needed caffeine earlier. <laughs> wow. Okay. Got it. <laughs> okay. And so I think part of it is passion. And I think part of it is, to Kim's point, benefits is also a motivating factor for employees. So, Kim, uh, it, it, it's actually the same question to you, but then I got something to talk about benefits because that's uh, right here. Go ahead, Kim. Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, Amanda's right. Some people do government work because they have a passion for what they're doing and what it stands for. I think there is also some level of security in working for the government. If you mm-hmm. come in every day and you do what you're supposed to do, you you know what's going to happen. Like you said, everyone gets a 3% raise. Everyone has the same, you know, benefits, the same uh, paid time off. Um, they actually get to continue to accrue that. It doesn't ever go away yeah. in most, um, you know, government entities. You have a pension that you know, most private employers do not have. So, you know, I think it really depends on on what people's, you know, personal and professional goals are. If, if you want to go in every day and do the same job and know that you're getting a paycheck and you have benefits and you have a pension coming to you in 20 years, that's what's important to some people. That's what I wanted to, to drop right now because to be balanced, I mean, one of the things that I saw the government had an amazing pension program, especially in Florida. Florida has the Florida retirement system. Back when I worked there, um, it was the ninth largest um, in the na- no, the ninth largest in the world. I, I think it was the third largest in the nation. Third, right? It, it's they had billions and billions of dollars invested in it. So I mean, nobody. <laughs> I call it the P word because nobody has pensions anymore. Nobody has pensions. They got 401k investments, right? So, I mean, they, well, who has it? Maybe Ford, right? Some county government and the federal government, right? And, and I, I don't know many other organizations that offer that anymore. Um, I don't know. It's just because it's too expensive or the new people coming into the workforce just don't value it as much, right? Uh, because I know a lot of people coming into the workforce today, they value more flexibility, which kind of we're kind of forced to do that right now. And in government work, one of the things that uh, it's exactly how you guys said was the benefit, the total compensation package. But fast forward to today, the way what we're dealing with right now, because I know a lot of organizations that um, that they have um, what they called um, non-accrual PTO. And for those of you who don't know, that means that you could take as much vacation as you want, right? Uh, you don't accrue, but if you leave, not, n- nothing gets paid out to you. But um, you can take as much vacation as you want so long as you still do your job. But now with COVID, right, you got some people that have to quarantine now. They can't work from home, right? And now they have to stay at home, quarantine, it's Amanda, have you seen what companies are doing, companies that have unlimited PTO, how they're handling associates who cannot work from home, but now they have to quarantine over and over again? Have you seen that happen or no? So I haven't actually seen a lot of that PTO going on. Mm-hmm. Um, in my profession, we actually have that. Mm-hmm. And in jobs where, you know, it's you need to meet this goal, whether it's hours or a budget. I do see that. But you're right, Ricky, companies are starting to rethink how to structure 
benefits because I think there's a demand by employees to want more now versus in the past where it was future looking and wanting security for retirement and that pension. And then you throw on COVID-19 on top of it. And of course, you know, some of the listeners out there, the HR professionals have had to try to keep up feverishly with all the regulations. And so maybe no you're pun under intended. No the pun FFCRA, <laughs> <laughs> right? Don't go there. They don't want to hear it. Everybody's sick of talking about it. But there's a lot of layers. So you're seeing companies sit here now that we're breathing past the last seven months, we've figured everything out and looking at how they can reshape PTO policies because they probably needed to pivot away from what they were doing. You definitely hang out with HD a lot. (laughs) You definitely hang out with HD. I I have her catchphrases. (laughs) HD and Tina were were on the show a couple of months before um, uh, HR Florida. And we just kept, and she just kept saying pivot. pivot. I'm like, HD, are you a Friends fan? She's like, am I? And we went into this whole <laughs> Friends thing. And, uh, she's awesome. I had a blast with them. Okay. She is. All right. So, it, so it's weird, right, that it's um, organizations <laughs> for the past four or five years, I've had clients, right, that that are just – they just don't want to do this whole flexible work arrangement thing. They just, whether they don't trust the associates, whatever the case may be, they just don't want to do it, right? Because, but they had their own reasons. I've heard that they, that they don't want any issues with FLSA, that maybe employees are capable of working off the clock or and, and they got to pay them and then the DOL gets involved. I completely get that. But good Lord, it comes back to trust, right? You got to trust your employees. And now here we are in a situation where Mother Nature was the one that forced us into that into that realm, right? So now all these organizations are saying, okay, well, let's work from home. Well, look at that. It's working. It is working. And then you've got companies like Twitter. you got companies, well, Silicon Valley are saying, you know what? Stay at home. Go ahead and stay at home. We don't care whether you come into the office or not. So coming back to compensation... So what's to stop an employee who lives in San Francisco making, I don't know, $200,000 a year? I'm, I'm assuming over there in that, in that environment, that's not abnormal. But because they live in San Francisco, they don't keep as much of their paycheck just because of how expensive it is. But now that they get to work from home, you know what? Screw them. I'm going to move to Butte, Montana. So it's from an HR point of view, Kim, it, it, it's – how would you handle a situation like that with an associate who says, you know what, I'm just going to go. And then, look, if, if you keep doing that, a lot of people are going to follow suit. Next thing you know, everybody's out of San Francisco. Is there a policy that you could uh, a package around to prevent people from doing that if that's what you want them to do? So we're actually looking at that right now because, oh. you know, we're fortunate because we are a technology company. Mm-hmm. We all worked on laptops, so we didn't miss a beat in March. We went home. We've been home ever since. Um, You know, there are some challenges to remote work. And Mm -hmm. I I agree with you. I think that, you know, when you have employees that are working remote, I I think the phrase is called trust, but verify. So (laughs) you need to make sure that you have the right mechanisms in place to monitor, to make sure that things are are happening as they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, we were not really that open to hiring people that were 100% remote, which really, you know, limits your ability to tap into a huge market of employees. Oh my God. So, you know, why, if, if you can work successfully remote, why do you care where they live? You know, that's, that's just a good way to look at it. Now, you know, we've opened up to be able to recruit throughout the entire United States rather than just here in the Bay Area. So, and, and it's attractive because the, you know, in Florida, you don't have state tax and city tax and, you know, all the things that, that some of these other states have. So it makes it very attractive for people to work here. Um, You know, California, yeah, most people want to get out of there if they can, because if you're going to earn a California wage and move to somewhere that, you know, reduces your expense. But I think that companies will have to eventually figure out how they're going to manage that and to ensure that, you know, your market competitive with your total package. It's not it's not just about your base pay, but you know, benefits, there's a benefit to working from home. I'm not spending two hours a day in the car. I'm not filling up my gas tank once a week. I'm not, you know, wasting time in traffic and other things. So, you know, there's, there's a give and take, I think, and companies will figure out how to, you know, navigate through that. It's just going to take some time. Mm. So Ricky, can I be a downer for a second? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. That's what attorneys do, right? (laughs) So it was interesting because I was actually on a panel the other day with some plaintiff attorneys, and they were asked what the future looks like from their perspective. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they said is they think that they're going to see a rise. We're going to see a rise in wage and hour complaints mainly on a class or collective action basis from people working remotely. So we've been tracking litigation over the last seven months. And as you can imagine, the majority of it has to do with disability leave management and reasonable accommodations. But what I'm hearing out of the mouths of plaintiff's attorneys is that that's great. All these companies have everyone remote that could possibly work remote, but they don't have those verifications, I love that phrase, Ken, in place to ensure that someone's not going to say, well, I was working off the clock. I sent you an email and I wasn't on the clock. So you knew or should have known. And here comes Mm. the complaint. So here I am arguing, (laughs) right? But, But shouldn't... Shouldn't we err on the side of trusting our associates, right? Because the way I look at it, right, it's, it's, look, I hired you to do a job. You have a skill set that I need that I'm willing to pay for, hence why I'm hiring you. If I bring you on board, that means I'm trusting you with my company, with my team. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling that trust all on your hands, right? I, it, it, it's, I don't have to earn your trust. As soon as I say, I want to offer you a job and you said, yes, I got to trust you. <laughs> right. So, um, it, so that puts us, me as a hiring authority at a disadvantage. And I'm glad to do it because, you know, to me, I rather trust the associates, give them the right policies and procedures and let them know, train them very well. Any little thing you do, 
for work. You got to clock in and you have to make sure that you're compensated for it. If you're working overtime, you've got to be approved, right? If you have to work past your time and I'm not available, go ahead and do it. That way I can pay you the overtime because I don't want to get in trouble. Somebody violates that, I just handle that person and get that person out. For every one person who violates that, there's hundreds of others that do exactly what they're supposed to, what they're supposed to be doing. So um, not to call out the panel, but... From their perspective, do you see that they may not have that trust or? So I think what happens is employees get furloughed. Mm -hmm. They get terminated. They, you know, may have performance issues and they become disgruntled or they need money and it's not malicious. And they go to a plaintiff's attorney in these really hard times. And that plaintiff's attorney has a list of questions that they ask them and they might've come and complained that they're furloughed and everything was legal with the furlough. But on the list of questions, they said, Oh, well I worked remote and I kept track of my time on a piece of paper and I didn't always do it. uh, But I think it's right. Mm. But what it comes down to at the end of the day that helps bridge that gap, I think is what I'm hearing from you, Ricky, and what I'm hearing from Kim, and what all the listeners out there need to remember. Like, you have the law, but it's all about the messaging. And so if you talk to your hires the way that you just did, and the way that Kim has expressed her concerns for her workforce, then you're going to have less disgruntled employees who understand that you and the company care and are less likely to go talk to one of those plaintiff's attorneys. Wow. Okay. You know what? That right there should be a humongous Hallmark card for HR. (laughs) That was awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, with that, we're going to move into final words. Because that was just awesome. It, it's look, it's it's we can be here all night with that, and I would love to be here all night. Um, you guys got stuff you got to do. I got stuff I have to do. But it, it it's this. I it's really was insightful for me. But what are some final thoughts that you want to leave the audience with, Kim? Um, you know, I think I would say that you know podcasts like this are helpful in getting down into the details of these amendments and really understand what you are voting for and Mm. the impacts of what you are voting for. I think each of us as a citizen of the United States has a responsibility to vote responsibly. And, you know, what I mean by that is educate yourself, go out and, and investigate and find out, you know, what am I saying yes to? What am I Mm. saying no to? And what is that downstream effect going to be? Mm. All right, Amanda. I think I would just say, hang in there. You know, we've all had a rough seven months, maybe even longer. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about some really tough issues right now in a very divided country. But I'm so happy that we can talk and we can educate and we can listen. And just everyone needs to know it will be okay, and we're all in it together. Mm. So my final thoughts, it, it, it's, look, folks, at the end of the day, 
regardless of what happens on on election night on November 4th, the day after. Remember, you got employees. Whether they're happy, they're sad, whatever the case may be, you have a responsibility to ensure that when they come back to work, that they have an environment that they're free from harassment. They have an environment where they are able to perform those talents that you hire them to do without any issues as it's as a result of whatever happens on that day. So that is your responsibility, regardless of what you feel or not. You've got to create that environment for those associates. From an HR perspective, you got to make sure that you're ready, that you have those budgets ready, and you plan for this. You plan for this going forward. 2020 was really an odd year when it comes to uh, budget planning because it blew everything out of the water. And now if this thing goes through, it's going to put that much more constraint on everybody's budget. So please keep a big eye out on that and just do the right thing for these employees uh, because especially with everything happening this year, uh, it's just a shameless plug. Um, If any organization out there has an EAP, any kind of of a plan for that, Push it, push it for the employees, right? Because that is that is the one benefit that people tend to forget it exists. And it's I I gotta tell you, it is such an invaluable benefit for these associates, especially with uh, with everything happening this year, whether it's at work, whether it's at home. So just make sure you focus on the H on H. Are. So, folks, with that said, actually, you know what? No, wait a minute, I forgot the most important part. So, Kim. How can people get a hold of you if they have any questions, if they want to reach the Kim, the senior HR director of the world? How can they get a hold of you? Um, I would say probably the best would be LinkedIn. Okay. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Kim Bolahanis, B-O-U-L-A-H-A-N-I-S. And the company I work for is MHK. If you go to MHK.com, uh, you can also get a link to me on there. Excellent. Amanda? You can find me on LinkedIn as well. I'm going to give everyone my direct dial, so watch out. Oh, wow. Okay. Turn that off as soon as we're done. <laughs> right? Go right it ahead. all the time anyway. <laughs> so I sit in Orlando, so we're 407-246-8408, but we have attorneys all over, including Washington, that can answer your Washington-specific oh questions, Ricky. <laughs> There you go. Perfect. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time. You want to get a hold of us? We are on all social medias, www.hrtalkpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. JC, take us out. On behalf of Ricky Baez, the entire HR Talk Podcast team, and crew behind the scenes. Thank you very much for your time today. Drive safe. Have a good night.